Welcome to our special tribute to the late, great Michaela Jones. Yeah, it's pretty hard to find the words to describe how I'm feeling right now. And I can only imagine how those closer to him, like his friends and family, are feeling after this just insane, tragic, and completely surreal incident that has resulted in his loss of life over there in the mentor-wise I got to know MJ pretty well back when I was living in Bali in my early 20s and benefited many times from his kindness and generosity. He was pretty atypical of a lot of professional surfers I'd met up to that point. Uh, He was just very humble, kept a very low profile and loved nothing more than just being deep in the tube. And man, was he good at it. Holy smokes. I don't know if there would be a more barreled person in planetary history. I mean, the amount of waves this guy either discovered or was among the first to surf or surfed with just a handful of people, there's too many to even count. He was a master of finding epic waves with fuck all people around and absolutely stuffing his face. This episode of Core Lords was recorded at MJ's place in Changu. Last year sometime, I believe it's the one and only podcast he's ever done. And yeah, you know, it was an interesting chat. Although I had the feeling that the MJ you're going to hear from now isn't exactly the MJ I knew. I, I don't think he was all that comfortable having a mic plonked in front of him and having his every word recorded. But, you know, the kind of guy he is, he, he volunteered to do one and gave us his time and energy and you know he's a gent man I, I can't speak highly enough for the guy and his loss is is pretty brutal to accept really I, I, I will miss seeing him uh when I'm in Indo as I usually do most years so yeah a tough one uh I'll be dropping a bit more content related to MJ including a, a greater story he's never told uh from the time me him and Travis Potter did a pretty skits overland mission to central java but until then this is mj in his own words rest in peace and perfect pits my brother you're gonna be missed ain't that swell presents courts i guess uh It's pretty funny because the last time I was at your joint was probably, um, I'm going to say, well, when I was living here, it was like 10 years ago. At least, yeah. Mm. And uh, I was living out at Brad Masters' joint, the late Brad Masters, um, and your place was still basically kind of half surrounded by rice paddies and stuff, like... uh, and now, I um, mean, now you're fucking living in the middle of Cooter, it seems. I was at, it's pretty good. I mean, you got to love that you can go to the end of the street and get a, a, a dick bottle opener. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever a, you need. <laughs> <laughs> Some pseudo, pseudo. You'll never run dry. Valium or pseudoephedrine. It's, uh, but that said, your joint's mental. Like, you're fucking, you're blocking it all out. You walk inside your place and you, you could be... In the middle of fucking Sumba. Yeah, that's how um, my wife's mom kind of designed it with like a multi-family 
compound. So it's, it's always kind of been like that. And then, yeah, everything just kind of popped up around us and everything moved from Kuda, Samoyak, Oberry down this way. And uh, it's hectic. It's the last two years is kind of quiet, but still there's a lot of people around. But um, yeah, since April, it's like the floodgates have uh, opened and it's back to normal. Mm. What was it like during COVID? I mean, it must have been, the way I think of it, it's like, must be like living in the seventies here, but with all the mod cons of now, which is well, nah, not is that inaccurate? I missed the start of it. We were in Hawaii, but um, by the time we got back, three or four months into it, like there's still a lot of people around. Everywhere was crowded with the waves. You know, there's a lot hmm. of surfers. Um, it wasn't, you know, it's not as crowded as it is now, but there's still a lot of people kicking mm. around. You people could fly in, fly out. Still, you know, you just had to get that business visa. Mm, mm. And what about during that period, were you doing trips like, around here? Um, at the start, it was it was easier to travel. And then uh, last year, it got kind of harder with um, all the vaccine stuff coming in and having the papers to travel. So we kind of hunkered down and just spent a lot of time on New Zealand Bongan at my friend's villa. Um, spent like two or three months popping back and forth kids were out of school and just kind of stayed together as a family unit and hunkered down you know didn't go too far <laughs> mm. must have been kind of terrifying at the start too like before we knew i guess that's probably why you went back to hawaii huh because at the start like we didn't really know what the mortality rate of it all was going to be but we knew the infection rate was like off the charts i, was, I remember just thinking fuck here comes the yeah right zombie 100%. Apocalypse. yeah we thought the same well, yeah, 2019, we were building our house in Hawaii, and um, so I was already there. Um, we went snow snowboarding in Japan, and then my wife and my kids flew back to Bali, and then I was in Hawaii, and then we made that decision to uh, to be in Hawaii, finish our house together. And so they got they actually got on the last flight to to Hawaii from uh, via the Philippines, and then that was the, like the last flight leaving Indo for a while and um yeah we're in Hawaii and everything was kind of like it's like oh this is going to be sick get some good late season here and um it'll be uncrowded and yeah then COVID hit and no one was in school or working and like everywhere is packed like in <laughs> the waves was packed the beach was packed the only good thing was there's no traffic to drive to like a Home Depot to get all this house stuff so <laughs> so like that happened, and then we finished the house, lived in it, and then decided to fly back to Indo as a family and be here for, I don't know, the last two and a half years. So that's mm. what we did. Wow. <laughs> and what about, uh, you know, how are the local communities faring during that period? I, I still haven't really uncovered how they were getting by, like, uh, without the tourism dollar. Yeah, yeah. Bali and Indonesia definitely felt, felt that the hardest out of, um, I guess, the rest of the world, like, I guess tourism in America and Australia and like everywhere was thriving where Indonesia was really hurting. And um, yeah, it was really sad to see like our local friends and family is struggling. And um, a lot of people helped out to help them buy. And, you know, to see tourism back now is, is like the, that's the best thing ever for them. And I'm happy to see everyone like thriving again. But yeah, it was really hard the last two years for, 
for the local community? Was there positives that came out of it for the local community? Like, I mean, kind of like a reminder that they can survive without tourism. Like, I don't know, maybe that's empowering in a sense to, to realise that, you know, fuck, if, if it all goes tits up, they can kind of go back to the family compound and grow food and like get by or, or I don't know if that was actually how, how yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely. Like the guys in um, New Salambonga started growing seaweed again and started farming seaweed, which was cool to see, you know, they're like, well, there's no tourism. Like we'll go back to our roots and start, start doing that again. That was, that was pretty cool to see that. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause often the roots are where the happiness is, you know, like I, I, I you know, obviously working over here for, Vice Indonesia for a beer, you know, I was kind of got the opportunity to write some stories about uh, like water fucking shortages and tourism and just like the changing nature of this island. And I remember this, uh, a couple guys telling me stories that like, you know, their family had sold their land and had been turned into a hotel or whatever. They'd sold their rice paddy. And then, so they went from this like ancient rhythm of growing rice, which was, you know, up at daybreak, work for a few hours, you go home for a few hours, hang on the family, do another couple of hours on dark. They went from doing that uh, to like these fucking weird, like 12 hour, 14 hour days where they're kind of like not really doing a whole lot either. Just kind of looking at a computer, like shuffling around these new school hotels. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I'm making more money, but I'm fucking miserable. <laughs> like I hate this shit. I wish I could go. I wish we didn't sell our rice paddy now. I wish we could go back to farming rice. It's, yeah, I don't know if he, he, he really meant that, like whether he got back there and to sell to grow on rice, whether he'd actually be happy. But yeah, it's something to be said about living in the rhythm with nature and growing your own food. And yeah, you're poor, but you know, health is wealth and money is clearly not everything. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's there's probably multiple stories like that. But um, it's progress, you know, and if they wanted to hold on to their land, they probably could have. You look at around here, it's like, land's not cheap. It's like more expensive than Hawaii. It's hmm. crazy, hmm. you know? So like you sell your lands, your family's pretty much set and their family, you know, their kids and their kids. But uh, it's definitely takes away from that, that old school way of life, I guess, you know? Mm. And to their credit though, despite giving up, you know, they, they've accommodated a lot of capitalism and a lot of, you know, the property speculation and selling shit and whatever. But the craziest thing about this island is that they stick so tight to their ancient traditions and they, they do just still shut the joint down constantly for tripped out Hindu processions like, you know, Nyepi and Galungan and fucking a million other ones. Um, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. It's a one-of-a-kind joint. I don't yeah. know anywhere I've been that manages to kind of balance the, the spirit world with the economic world. Yeah, that's why Bali is so amazing is, is their culture and their way of life, you know? Like, that's what draws a lot of people here, and a lot of people fall in love with that. What about, um, man, you must have seen this joint change so much. Like, tell us about your, your first trip here or your first, your first memories of this joint and... Uh, um, not necessarily Bali, but like just, yeah, Indonesia. Um, my first trip was with my, my dad and my sister and my uncle. I think I was around 13. And my dad went to G-Land the year before. And he's like, oh, you guys could probably surf it. And you guys will like Kuda. And it'd be a cool trip. So we all did a family trip over here. And 
remember um kuda kuda halfway we the first day was like six foot and just like barreling left and rights and i was like wow this place is so sick and then we went out to ulu's and then we went to g land and then we came back and went out to lombongan and like it was a pretty pretty crazy trip and like there's no one around and it was really really like old school back then you know like how how long ago that was i was 13 so and then we all just came back every year since then yeah right and uh i mean since then like you've become one of the most intrepid travelers uh of this archipelago like you're right up there with them anyway i guess in, in for your generation there was guys that came in the generations before who were pretty fucking next level but um you know i guess yeah I mean, tell us about some of the the most radical early missions because uh, <laughs> fuck man i guess the guys like of your vintage you guys were fucking able to do some crazy trips to parts of indo that were still barely discovered yet and i imagine you would have in your time uh surfed a lot of joints that either hadn't been discovered yet or you know fuck a handful of people had surfed i mean tell us about some of uh some of the most kind of memorable early kind of feral adventures around this island chain <laughs> the one that sticks out in my mind is uh the first time I went out to Neos, it was for um, a contest, and there's like 30 of us on this flight from Medan to Neos, and uh, we flew all the way out to Neos. The guy circled the island, and there's this huge rainstorm, and the plane couldn't land, and then we had to fly back to Medan to refuel. <laughs> Landed in Medan, refueled, 30 of us or 40 of us hot back on this propeller plane, and flew back out to Neos again, circled again, circled twice, couldn't land, flew back to Medan, refueled. Then a third time, it's still raining, the weather hasn't changed. We're just circling around, the, the pilot just rushes it, just starts fucking going for it. And I remember looking out the window and it was just stormy, rainy, and all I could see was coconut trees and the plane was flopping up and down and side to side. and. The turbulence were so crazy, and just remember looking at um, Sam Carrot. I think I was sitting next to him, like he had this look on his face, like we were going to die. I was like, "Oh gosh, like here we go!" Like, and uh, yeah, we just hit the runway. I think we bounced like three or four times, and it almost felt like the pilot was going to pull back up, and he just held it down and just like got to the end of the runway, and somehow we pulled it off. And I just remember going, "Fuck, that could have been like." 30 of like the best surfers around could have just died, you know? <laughs> I think I was like 16 at that time. I was just like, holy crap, that was nuts. Wow. Yeah, old school. And, uh, and, then, and then they put us on this bus and we're going, we're driving, the road was different. We're like almost driving through the mountains and stuff and we'll get to these bridges and the local people pull the planks off of the bridge and then they would make you pay. Oh, you got to pay. And then they'd, Put these planks back on the bridge and then these like we would get out of the bus and the bus would drive across this rickety bridge as like you wouldn't want to be on the bus driving across this bridge was, like if the thing breaks you'd, you'd be dead and you'd walk across it behind the bus and you're like holy shit and i remember like three or four times there was bridges with no wood on them like that you're like fuck 
<laughs> pretty nuts. <laughs> Fuck, that's wild. Oh, uh, wow. And I guess, Nias, you know, what kind of a place in your life did that wave serve over the years? That was like, on that trip, definitely got like one of the top five barrels of my life. Like it was pumping like the day before the contest. I just remember like Joel Fitz was getting some good ones. And um, there's all these old legends like they were on the trip. I think Garrett McNamara was there and like it was pretty big. Like it was definitely like by today's standards, like really good Neos, you know. And that was a cool Grom trip to be on, like, just tripping, like, how, like, definitely been to Bali before multiple times, but, like, to get out of, like, Bali's always been that tourism, like, oh, cool, tourist vibe to get deep into the jungle, like, at that point in time was pretty crazy, like, it's pretty, like, rural. <laughs> I remember then... I lost and I was like, oh, I'm going to go home. And I flew back by myself. And just the mission to get back to Bali was like, took me like four or five days. And <laughs> it just, it was like, he thought it was hard to travel now. Like back then was like, it's like being in the Stone Age, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a wild trip too for a 16 year old unaccompanied to Nias traveling with a bunch of heathen maniac degenerates. Like, I, I, you know, that's a, <laughs> Yeah, that that was a, a wild era of pro surfing at the best of times. Let alone, I mean, what what was that like a a, a kind of high high rated QS? I think it was like a three star or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. What was that like, man? Just being in that scene as a kid. It was crazy. Like times have definitely changed. <laughs> you know, like back then, like anyone could enter a contest and just show up and surf your heat. You know, and just remember like. A lot of paddle battling going on, a lot of tactics, um, a lot of tactics, you know, being used on me. I'm, I wasn't using that. I was getting smoked by, <laughs> by guys that were fake paddling for a wave and then turning around, getting the next one. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Just shit like that, you know? No, there's no priority. Like when I used to do contests, there's never any priority. It's just fucking run your opponent over. Yeah. Fucking Palum Deep, fucking whatever. Do you remember who you had in that event? Nah. <laughs> no idea. And uh, I guess that zone, like, I mean, there's a couple other ways. We're pretty vague about them, but, like, there's a couple of, over the years, like, a couple of fucked up waves, one in particular that comes to mind that, uh, I mean, as far as I know, you're definitely one of the first guys to, to really you know, challenge yourself out there or kind of set the bar for uh, what was possible at that joint. Mate, talk, can you talk to us about that wave and, um, you know, why you made the decision to go surf it, what it looked like the first time you surfed it and, and, and how you kind of made those baby steps into surfing it? I don't it. know what wave you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> which, which one? <laughs> the, uh, oh, well, we'll bleep it out, but um, you don't have to name it. We'll, I'll name it, but we'll bleep it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fuck, we actually surfed that wave on that trip. Uh, I remember paddling out there, and the guys were surfing it. Like, fucking, it was huge. And it was, like, it broke different. It was closer to the beach, and I just remembered shitting myself, going, this is the gnarliest wave I've ever seen. <laughs> I think I watched Ma Mark, Mark banister get fucking ping-ponged on the rocks on the inside and i was like oh my god that guy's gonna die 
It was pretty gnarly. Yeah, can you describe the wave, like how, like what the setup is? Um, it looked like, like at that time, I was just starting to surf piping back door, and I was like, fuck, this is, looks like 20 foot back door. <laughs> wow. It was like, I remember paddling for the channel and like fucking white knuckling and like duck diving these waves, just like, oh, I need to get back to the beach. It's way too big. <laughs> wow. Holy shit. That's insane. So you're 16 years old. Fuck, that's crazy. I didn't know people were surfing it that long ago. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. The one year they moved the contest up there. It's not a secret. It's just people forgot about it. Or... Ah, right, yeah. I think Fanning or Parco won it that year. I wasn't there, but uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's out of sight, out of mind type shit. Yeah, and I guess, you know, ways of that kind of consequence, not not your average dude really wants a bar of it. We actually surfed at a like two weeks ago <laughs> it's fucking nuts it's nuts still yeah 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 it'll be nuts for thousands of years to come <laughs> <laughs> and what about um man i mean fuck so many crazy missions you're on like fucking apocalypse and all that shit like fuck man talk to us about you know you've seen some waves discovered like they're just they were there they weren't there one day and then they I, were there. i don't think yeah i was any discoveries but definitely. But when that came online, like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, like we we got, you know, there's that uh, Drew Courtney wave that kind of put it on the map, mm. and then we're like, oh shit, and you know, and take people out there. Oh, it's a closeout. You know, yep, it's a closeout. So I think it's just a glorified closeout. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You get a uh, t 10 seconds of the, the well, thickest fucking pit you can get before that thing. Kills I it. like surfing off the wall. It's similar to off the wall. Like, yeah. Shit like that. Man, I fucking, I'll never forget this actually. Uh, being on the beach at Pipe and uh, it's like a kind of weird, like morning sick, straight day at Pipe and, and backdoor. And, I came in, I looked up the beach and you were sitting up there on your own and off the wall and I swear to God, from where I was looking, this thing looked like a 10-foot double up and I, you packed it and like travelled and it fucking just, I don't know, I guess it ate you at the end. Do you remember this way? I remember seeing you on the beach after and being like, yeah, that's what, that, it's pretty common. <laughs> I, I used to like to do that for fun, you know, like sit it used to be uncrowded down there, or now it's pretty crowded, so it's not as fun, you know. But if you could get a barrel with no one around and you make it, you don't make it. Like a, as long as you could get in there, it's that's all fun to me. <laughs> Man, I, like the capacity of that joint to offer up waves of a magnitude that's like it's kind of unparalleled. It seems to me almost like like tripped out double ups like waves that are like in that 10 foot range but there's two of them <laughs> stuck yeah. together and it's glassy and it's like fucking yeah i mean it's yeah, so nuts you must the shit you must have seen at that joint over the years oh yeah i've seen some crazy crazy waves written by some crazy people you know like there's a whole i don't know i guess i've been surfing it since i was younger but like seen some crazy shit for sure Piping back door and off the wall. Who are the like 
the top guys like oh like or just take us back then i guess to hawaii growing up well, there like and back in the day like off the wall was surfed by like kahea hart and matt archibald where like todd chester would paddle down there on big days and like and like people would like oh kind of fear you know and then i, I think nowadays like there's everyone charges you know it's hard like the level of surfing is just through the roof like everyone could surf like two to 20 feet but um and then when i was doing it like people really were pushing uh shooting fisheye like mm. pushing the angles and that was always fun to go out there and work with some of the best you know water photographers in the world and try to get crazy angles and like like nowadays like people get a shot like what do you do you put it online or like there's not there's no print or not in america you mm. know so so times have definitely changed fuck man those are yeah scott eichner used to shoot the shit out of that joint Flint, man. yeah russo noel like the guy wyatt too that shot for transworld would get some crazy crazy angles you know were these guys getting fucked up? Like some of the shots I can used to have, like I think it almost it, didn't make sense. You're like, you must, are you like in the lip on that thing? Their timing was so good. Like I, I remember Eichner would sit like at least 10 feet further in than everyone and more towards the shoulder. And then he would swim out with his camera in his hand, like kind of pointed it at the sky. And he would just do like this alligator, like slow slide under the lip and he would have his camera just pointed up and he would like you're like well this guy's like totally out of position you know and and then uh on the beach he'll, he'll like wave you over hey come here look at this and he'll flip to his camera and like holy shit you're behind me looking back <laughs> under the lip like you can see my fade like it's just absurd of the shit they were doing you know like I don't think anyone's getting shots like that anymore unless you know you don't see them but like those guys there's 10 of them you know that were just pushing the envelope of water photography and that was pretty cool to be in like been been able to work with them mm. and, and do that kind of shit you know it's a really underrated aspect of the culture is like those guys shooting in the water at that wave uh i mean it's pretty fucking it's almost as harrowing as packing one out there yeah yeah definitely yeah being putting yourself under the lip yeah definitely at, at a joint that's like you know fucking littered with closeouts and you know it's not hard to see a situation in which you just get lit up by an eight footer and then you're, you're fucking holding onto your housing and just yeah. wearing waves on the head and getting pinballed around the yeah. rocks and i mean i guess eichner was uh at least some of these guys were like pretty high-end bodyboarders and shit or something. Mm, like that's how yeah. they kind of got that feel for those kinds yeah, of conditions. Yeah, exactly, yeah. A lot of the fisheye guys, yeah, used to boogie board. Yeah, it's the same in Oz, like Ray Collins, uh, mm -hmm. fucking, I mean, Chris Bryan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they all were. <laughs> yeah. Who, who is the only surfer? Katie, the, one of the Even new Even Russo was a boogie boarder. Yeah. Good for them though they they evolved into you know into the arts <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a weird it's such a weird combo because it, it is the arts like it's photography yeah like they're in there and they're dealing with lighting and like 
all these kind of like esoteric artistic qualities but they're also like there's this hardcore waterman aspect to it and this hardcore kind of i guess coming with the territory that is like a, a bit of macho pride and like i guess i mean yeah, I for sure there's definitely some rivalries going on between the photogs for sure you know yeah russo is pretty like pretty, pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty polarizing character russo and yeah eichner had a little thing together but you know the end of the day they're all friends you know but uh oh that shit's you healthy. know but it's the rivalry and like you know everyone has their packing order too it's like surfers i guess but um yeah, it was, it was cool to see. What about, um, fuck, man, Hawaii, like, growing up there. So what's the story of your family? Like, can, can you talk to us about, you know, just tell us a bit about your folks. Like, My folks? Yeah, what they did for a living and um, just your upbringing, I guess. How many of yeah, you is there? I was born and raised in Hawaii. Um, my mom was born on the Big Island. My dad is from, like, um, Northern California. And they met in high school. My dad did a trip right when he started surfing, like I think he was a freshman in high school, he went with his mom to Hawaii and then um, he fell in love with Hawaii and then he found a high school that had a, had a dormitory. So he enrolled himself into this high school and moved himself to Hawaii where my mom moved from the Big Island to Honolulu to the same school. Hmm. And they were like high school sweethearts. And my wow. dad, my dad actually was a, shaping and glassing all his own boards in uh in his dorm room no way yeah that's hilarious so there's some guy in the fucking bunk next to him just huffing fumes all day yeah, on the weekend yeah you're, i guess uh so before lightning bolt there's the surf shop called uh surf line and that was right down the road from um my dad's high school so he'd walk down there and buy a blank and all the resin and shit and uh he used to glass his boards with this like big bird that's the logo my brother's using on his boards now. See. And then, yeah, so I've been running them on my boards, like three feet birds. So kind of like a little homage to my pops. And then, um, yeah, then my dad went, to, um, went into dentistry and my mom and him traveled the world for, I don't know, two years. And then she fell pregnant with my sister. And then I came along and then my little brother. And then uh, they split up and... That's when my dad was always into photography too. So he would always go on surf trips with like Buttons and uh, Mark wow. Liddell and work for the guys at Locomotion and stuff. And huh. So yeah, my dad's first love was uh, photography, carpentry, and like doing shit with his hands. And then that's how he got into dentistry. Just, he had figured he could make money doing that. Sick. But um, yeah. When my parents split up, we were living on the east side, and then my dad moved to the North Shore to, you know, like, we were already surfing, and he thought um, that would be a good move for us. Before, it was, like, the new soccer. Is, we were kind of, like, kind of, like, the outcast kid. Not the outcast kids, but, like, everyone's going to baseball games where, like, I was playing baseball games. I was like, you know, going to this game on Saturday. We're going surfing. Let's go. Like, or he'd pull me out of school and go... Let's go watch the Pipe Masters. I'll, I'll shoot it. You can come hang out. Holy like, shit. Yeah. Watching the pipe comps yeah, as a kid like, would have been a trip. Yeah. Seeing that wave, like, um, it's on Surfers the Movie. Uh, Derek Coe gets spit out of that barrel and does that claim. Like, I remember he's, like, walking down the beach. My dad was already set up. I was walking down the beach. Like, I had ice cream. Went up to, the, like, the 
shave ice truck out of fucking shave ice. I was walking down, fucking seen that. It's like, oh shit, like that's that's almost been like embedded in my mind, you know? It's like eight years old. Wow, yeah. that's insane, man. What was the North Shore like back then? I guess for one, it was pretty fucking affordable, I imagine. Uh, when we were younger, yeah, yeah. it's pretty nuts, you know? There's a lot of, you know, it's like the Wild West where now it's it's still pretty gnarly, but it's changed a lot. Um, I don't know. We've never had any problems. My dad's was all his friends with, you know, the right people. And then I rode for a, I don't know, you know, I guess is, you know, we're, we're little kids and people would like look after you, you know, they wouldn't, but yeah, definitely people definitely gets ta- get taxed or, you know, it's pretty gnarly. <laughs> it must've been so gnarly at that point. Not just cause of like, like, you know, there's so many factors that would have made it gnarly. Uh, here's a good story. So we're ready that maybe like 16 and a, I was staying at my friend's uh, my friend's house at VLAN, Rocky, and uh, and it was still when the uh, it was before all the million dollar houses on the beach and those, those old apartments, and we're like, all right, we'll wake up early and we'll go we'll go surf VLAN, and we're about to cross the street and we hear, uh, no, daddy, no, and we look over and we see this guy standing in front of the door with a gun, he's fucking fires like three shots, pop, pop, pop. Me and Rocky look at each other and like, oh shit, and we like hop over a wall and just watch this guy like peel out like seven in the morning. We're like, God, he just probably killed someone, which wow. he didn't. He just fired a couple shots into a, into the apartment. But we're like, still like, oh, it's pretty gnarly around here. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Actually, That's the only time I had seen gunfire. Yeah. I was um, sure. <laughs> chatting to Jody Cooper one time. She told me this story about she was staying with, uh, like a Californian family, um, you know, just like staying on their floor, renting, whatever, getting by. And I guess they were like slinging a bit of coke on the side. And whoever was like running that market at the time, that they kind of found out. Oh, yeah. And uh, they weren't too happy. And uh, so they kicked the door in with balaclavas and uh, sawn off shotguns. And, you know, Jody was eating some fucking hagen dazs in the, the kitchen, as you do, and just was like, oh my God, and fucking like <clears throat> hit the deck in the kitchen. and she kind of managed to hide out there for a bit and these guys are just tearing the joint up, fucking, you know, rifle butt the dude to the ground and um, fucking it, you know. It's definitely the Wild West. They're like going, fucking give, like, give me the money, give me the money. And the guy's going, I don't know where the money is. So they like take the chick in the fucking room and they're like beating her up a bit. And then Jody gets found and <laughs> she reckons they just like, this dude just grabbed her by like the fucking shirt and like head and just like threw her like, I think they were tied up even on the ground. And she, she goes, I was lying there and I could fucking smell shit. And the dude had shit himself, uh, literally. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I would have shot myself. Too. Fucking earth. Wow. So, yeah, it's so heavy, man. I can't imagine, like, just, I guess that's what I was leading to. It's like so many factors making also, it heavy. like, it was pretty compressed surf scene, you know? It's like a small area. And... Back then, it was even more of the Mecca, you know, like, it was more of the scene. Like, we had neighbors, like, they had a purple light on, like, 24-7, and we're grown, so like, what's going on over there? And they're like, like, obviously growing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, fuck, man. Because it's like, you got, you got all that, like, pressure of, like, 
you know, like it's an indigenous population that's been colonized. Like that's one layer of yeah. fucking like gnarly shit. Like the obvious, it's always a gnarly thing. Wherever you go in the world, if it's fresh, like Hawaii, it's the same in Australia, really. Like, fuck, yeah, man. Yeah, right. There's always bad apples. There's that. And then you got like, you know, this resource pipe off the wall, backdoor. Careers are made on that shit. Like you fucking, you know, if you're on the sets at pipe, that's a career. You don't have to yeah, leave right. that island. Like, Especially back then. Fuck. Well, I mean, what was a wave worth back? Like, you know, you get on one well, of the waves one, the Yeah, you get a cover shot. That thing will last you like three, four, they'll make your whole career. That's an insane concept. Yeah. And guys realize that pretty early on. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the things that's not really understood uh, that well outside of Hawaii is that guys mm. understood pipe was a resource. And it's if like you, you have a clip it. on Instagram that goes viral, like fucking people don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you had a cover shot in the early 2000s. You're get a sponsor you're good for like four or five years yeah yeah seriously fuck it's an insane because one it's going to be a nuts wave two it's going to be a nuts photo three there's the whole surf industry and the whole world is like drawn to these magazines that the only place you could see it at you know Mm. but in order to like any resource in order to control it and be on that wave, like, man, you got to intimidate some people to get there. It's not like, you know, or I guess like there's different ways to the top. Like there's guys like, you know, your Jamies and Johns who just go on waves that people don't really want. And then there's other guys who are just on the more perfect ones. And um, yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic, man. Just, you know, I I think I spent a couple months there once and just sitting in the lineup and watching how it all unfolded was endlessly fascinating to me crazy yeah it's fucking crazy um i mean so when you're coming up at pipe like who are the guys then oh it was crazy out there there's brayden diaz was one of the top guys briley poncho miles sean briley man fuck that guy is i still reckon to this day like he has some of the heaviest waves ever surfed at pipe hands down yeah some of the craziest like belly flop weight bouts on purpose you know <laughs> jumping over the falls like he's a crazy person oh my god what was he like i mean did you have much to do with him growing up well he was older than i was i always looked up to those guys you know and um yeah like he was always super family but like he's definitely had some loose moments you know mm. <laughs> um, yeah i can only imagine you know so you, the, you had michael and derek out there and johnny boy and who else? There's the list is like Marvin Foster, like endless. Like lucky to get the wave, you know? Yeah, I was just <laughs> I was just about to say like you look at who was running the joint then and like the just there's fucking fuck all cops around. There's no camera phones and shit. So like oh, yeah. I just can't even imagine how hard it would have been to get waves there as a a non-Hawaiian. Like it just seemed would have been almost impossible to get on a good one. Maybe not. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, just put in your time and. Mm-hmm early mornings or late late at night you know people can't surf forever especially once the waves get on a good roll and people break boards and get tired or you know get their wave and they're happy and then you have opportunities further down the line but when it's shitty for a long time and there's only like one good swell that's when it's cutthroat you know Mm. who the black in your opinion the best and the best you've seen do it out there i guess Starting with like when you're a kid, like in that generation, it was Derek Coe's always been the best. Yeah, like he he was surfing it to like the last day, you know, like he never stopped. Mm. Where you got guys like come and go, where he just 
putting the time from day one till till the end. So she, like really like there's no comparison, you know, unless someone's going to do that now, like until they're, but it's hard. Mm. And then making the transition to Indo, one thing I've observed just being here is, uh, you know, you, you get the opportunity to share space with Hawaiians a lot of the time in this part of the world. It's obviously, there's no waves in Hawaii. It's like the perfect thing to just go from Hawaii to here. And fuck, man, I guess like, in my opinion, it's like, West Australians and Hawaiians are like the best tube riders on the planet. And in this, at least in this environment that I've seen, and, and I guess fucking in general, like, but coming from those waves in Hawaii to here, like, I mean, is, is it feel like you're kind of a cakewalk? Is it, um, well, like, what's the difference? How do you kind of compare? The waves in Hawaii are the, the, they're more powerful and they're not as perfect. They're more, uh, they're chunkier and kind of more f like, harder to ride where you get here to Indo it's glassy or perfectly groomed offshore and you know the little thinner lips don't get me wrong there's definitely crazy waves around here but it's definitely not as powerful mm, and I guess yeah. or I guess guys from West Oz too is more more uh, Hawaii type power you know yeah and that's why the guys from West Oz do so good in Hawaii too like Jake right. and Taj and uh -huh. you know that's the way I like. Really, you sh should go to West Coast during the summer, or their winter, and then go up to Hawaii. I guess like tomorrow used to do that too, you know. But um, yeah, definitely, it's easier up here, and you know, it's more groomed than being in West Oz or Hawaii. Yeah, you ever done many trips there up to Toomey's and all that? No, I've never been up north. No. Huh. Fuck. Yeah, I wonder, like, yeah, the West Oz guys, like, the, the new generation, like, Kale Walsh's, Jacob Wilcox, Jack Robbo, like, fuck, man, those guys are, like, taking tube riding to a place that's mm. so bizarre. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess, like, you look around and it's like, yeah, it is. It's just the Hawaiians that can kind of match that, it seems, you name well, John Florence's. Yeah, seeing that, though, there's a lot of good barrel riders around from everywhere now, you mm. know? Mm. There's, everything's kind of more opened these days, you know? Yeah, I mean, any guys like a. One thing I've also noticed, you, you see guys like. If you can get barreled a behind the rock snapper, like, that's also as technical. That's fucking hard as shit. It's so hard. And yeah. then you see those guys over here, like Brent Dorrington and shit, and it's fucking, again, a cakewalk. Like, they're getting the craziest. Well, I picks. think. Or making it wherever you're from if you could get barreled and put more time in and get more barrels then you're going to be a better barrel rider you know mm. and what about um like i mean a lot of your career was spent or the early part of it you were kind of in cahoots with taylor Steele and and, and doing a few trips with him with around dustin the yeah yeah dustin humphrey There's yeah. more dustin and then they kind of him and taylor kind of hooked up and then kind of just doing my own thing yeah what was it so you went to some fucking weird joints at that point yeah not so weird just i think not weird but like off the beaten track which is sick that's kind of the best thing about it yeah or looking back on it now i guess everywhere is just you know everywhere's kind of on the map so it's, it's 
there's this kind of there's less people in Indo too, way less than it, there is now. Um, it's almost like I could say like the best years of my life is like early days Karamas when you'd show up there and no one's showing up. Whoever you came with is like who you're surfing with. Like, uh, but Ted used to drive from Kuda, pick me up, and would drive straight across Tempasar and like it'd just be me, me and him out like all morning just trading barrels. Like Man. those early years where it's just crazy. Yeah, there was a there was this film that came out in Australia. I think it was called Formula Three. It came out with a Tracks magazine. And it was just after the Bali bombings, and I remember. It was, I think, you and your brother at Kromis. And it was like, it was kind of like the spin on the video. It was like, life returns to Bali after the mm -hmm. bombings. And you guys were just fucking stuffing your faces. It was so trippy. It was the first I'd ever seen of the wave. It must have been, yeah, the early noughties, I guess. And yeah. you guys were just getting fucking stand tall after stand tall. And it was fully mind-blowing. It's so crazy that that wave was... It was discovered pretty late in the scheme of things by pro no, guys, surfers, I guess. Yeah, there's guys that were surfing it, like, pretty early on, I guess. There's just never a road down there, you know? Right. And I guess a lot of people weren't around during the off-season. And it's just it's also a lot harder to travel around Bali with the roads before. So. Yeah, what was it like back then in terms of getting around this giant... It's just like what, like just really fucked just up. Just small little tracks. rice paddy roads. I remember, like, I used to stay with uh, Riz when I was younger, and we'd come up here to surf, um, surf out front here in Chengdu, and um, would surf the right at Paranon, and he's like, oh yeah, there's, like, a lot of times you're there at high tide. He's like, oh, there's a good left over here. Watch when the tide drops, and sure enough, like the sandbar started, like, oh, this is pretty sick, you know. Mm. And when I met my wife in um, 2000, I met her in 2000, and um, she was living in Chenggu, and fucking guys would surf in the morning and bail, and there'd be no one here all afternoon, like, for years. Like, it was crazy. Mm. We'd walk down to the beach, and, like, people would uh, stop, like, local people would stop, like, give me a ride, like, what are you doing, like, walking around here? Like, never seen anyone walking around here. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, fuck. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I think I first came here when I was 17 and went to um, Changu. And, and it was funny, like, even then I was, like, resisting coming to Indo, thinking, oh, you know, Indo's blown in my mind at that age, which was, it's like, obviously the most ridiculous. There's so many waves. The most ridiculous thing to think yeah. at that point. But I guess in Australia, like... It's like Uluwatu or uh, Halfway or something. Yeah, there's a fucking... A million trillion waves that have been put on the map since then. Like, I think of, like... Anyway... But yeah, Changu at that point, there was, I don't even think it was a little room, there was a temple. And yeah, it was just surfing with, there was no white people around. Uh, and to see the pace of change is so mind melting, especially in this suburb. Uh, I think Rizal said to me once, like, fucking nowhere changes like Bali, only Las Vegas. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and never, Bali. I've never been to Vegas. So. <laughs> yeah, even after it was bombing, it's like, um, the land value just kept going up. Like, things didn't slow down, you know? And, it, again, it's the culture and the, the people being so lovely and welcoming and then they want to show you everything and help you out. Like, 
it's the only like it's the most user friendliest place in the world like in mm. my opinion like and it's cheap to get around and you can survive for cheap you know eat and and uh and people just want to help you out and that's that's what makes this place so sick yeah it's such a weird like coming from australia into the, this culture especially having not been here for a few years the culture shock is so intense in the best kind of way like you you step off the plane and you realize like everyone here is doing their best to treat each other well like it, yeah 100 percent. It, it's part of the there's no homeless people around here fuck that's such a good point the families take care of each other and you know like everyone takes care of the grandparents and the grandparents take care of the kids and like it's a it's i guess it's almost like the asian way of living really you know mm, mm. yeah it's like um it's like, I guess that that's the, the concept, the underpinning belief is this belief in karma. And it's like, you know, a karma means deed and like do a good deed. Mm. And it's like, you're paying it forward constantly. And if yeah. everyone does well, that, around, comes around. yeah, if everyone's constantly paying it forward, it's just like this fucking insane, like grassroots. Like it's a way of taking the power back in life in a, in a country that is, infamously corrupt and has been fucked over by the worst kind of dictator you know like for so long and but i mean this belief system predates Sahara and that shit by fucking hundreds of years yeah um, there's also two different cultures you know that Balinese are hindu and and you know the big city in jakarta and those guys are are muslim so like mm. i feel like the hindu and Balinese cultures always been more um that's what why the tourism's here in Bali, you know? And that's why people are drawn to, I guess it's the vibe, you know, the vibrations it's putting off, right? Yeah, 100%. It's interesting, just the little chip the other day and coming back through Lombok, like, man, Lombok is a fucking, it is a hard lock zone. Like, it is, it's just like, it's hard living, man. It's, it, it's, it's so close to Bali, yet it feels so far away. It, it, it's just really disheveled, this it's, kind of suffocating kind of like poverty. Mm. Like, uh, and then you step off the off the ferry, and, and even as you're pulling into the harbour, you can already see the architecture is completely right, different. Right. And you step off the ferry, and you step straight into this Hindu procession where everyone looks amazing, and like uh, there's this vibrational shift. And I don't know, like. You know, Bali also is a different climate and, and, and topography and shit to, to Lombok, and obviously the real belief system is different. Uh, There's actually a lot of Hindus in um, in Lombok. Right, and East Java too, right? There's mm -hmm. like, like, it's kind of spread. Yeah. And I mean, this is not like a, I'm not casting dispersions on different belief systems, but it's, that difference is, is so noticeable going from one no, you definitely, to the next. Like even when you land on the plane, you just feel a different vibe, you know. Mm. It, it's definitely a, a different feeling, and like I said, it's like a vibration, you know. Like, and then it, I think it definitely like it attaches it, it attaches itself to you, like and how you feel. I think that's why a lot of people love it so much, is because they land and they love the feeling of it. Mm. And then on the flip side of that, it's pretty like a bit bit woo woo, but like. But you see people come here and have some shitty trips. Right. Fucking motorbike accidents or like fucking just one bad thing after another, you know? Yeah. So it goes both ways. Yeah. If you're like, if you don't 
tap into that kind of karmic flow state here. If, if you're out of sync with that, you just get fucking shat on yeah. from the just moment like anywhere, you step though. off the plane. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Same with anywhere, you know, like people will either help you out or not help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally like, and it comes down to, like if your energy is not right, you can be asking for directions. If you're like mm. flustered or whatever, and they'll like just point you in the exact opposite direction. Yeah, a, smile, a smile goes a long ways. Yeah, yeah. Know? Man, what? But yeah, if you come with that shitty attitude, you'll definitely get fucking shit handed back to you. <laughs> what about some of the crew you've traveled with here over the years? Like the, the kind of intrepid Indo dudes, like not Indo dudes, but the guys who travel Indo, you know, I think yeah, really, are... like, so when I first met my wife in 2000, that's when kind of like started doing a lot more exploring and off the beaten track. And it was with uh, Travis Potter and the Turners, Ren and Timmy and uh, Brett. And then those guys went off and made that pretty cool movie. Um, Second thoughts. Mm. And that's a must watch. This is my all time favorite surf film. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't That's seen it, cool, go yeah. and watch that. And then um, my brother would come over a lot, Daniel. And then um, who else? Bull. We traveled with Bull and Data Gun a lot back in the day. And yeah, we did some cool trips. Definitely, like, looking back on it, like, super cool, you know? Yeah, like, what regions and what kind of, I mean, what, you mentioned that that Nia strip's so wild. Pretty hard to top that shit. But, like, fucking. You know, can you give us? I mean, I did one trip with you, which was fucking hilarious. Me, you, and Travis, and your and a few That's other crew fun. in your <laughs> four discoveries, just like the world's longest skunk mission. It's like drove twenty hours to. Yeah, it was, it was well. In my eyes, it's like a recon mission, but uh, we did to get skunk, but we didn't surf. I don't know. It's, no, it's, just I, trying I to mean be, that. Trying to be optimistic. <laughs> well, that's it. This is what I learned. Like, you know, in Australia, like, you, you, you do have to drive a lot, but it's a different kind of driving. There's fucking no one on the roads, for one. Yeah. You're here, it's just, and then you're driving in a straight line. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can be fucking, you know, yeah. We just fucking get stoned as all fucking just drive through the middle of the night. You, you got to dodge kangaroos, but yeah. that's about it. But, um, here you're fighting for your life. <laughs> fuck, dude. I'll never forget being like, passed out in the back of your car and like poking my head up and it looked like i was looking at watching travis drive it looked like a um sped up version of one of those like tests you do to get your driver's license (laughs) but it was just like the indonesian version like oh like scooter car fucking you know child in uh, in pram like goat fucking old man on bicycle like obstacle driving (laughs) It's like one obstacle to another obstacle to another obstacle. <laughs> you gotta be so on it, man. Like, and if you fucking clip one dude, no, this, you're done you don't for. Do that, no. Holy shit! They'll drag you out of the car and fucking beat you to death with sticks. Yeah. Well, at least that's what I imagine. Like, fuck. I think they used to do that. But uh, yeah, that was a hilarious trip, and it, it taught me so much about the way you guys go about what you do here, and and, and the attitude you got to have. Like you said. By my stand, by my understanding of things, I'm like fuck. We we got really skunked, but it was a mad adventure. I had such a funny time. It was like hilarious. But uh, I saw the way that you and Travis were interacting with the experience, and yeah, it was it was all a bonus for you guys. You know, you fucking out in the road, you're able to. It's like a recon, like I said. But it's like you just never know. <laughs> I don't. Know. 
there's definitely a, went to some random places, right? <laughs> what about uh, any of those come up trumps? Like you've been on missions like that and just fucking. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess they all kind of like blend into each other. Thinking about them, but yeah, definitely you get some waves. As long as you could avoid crowds, you know, and get a couple of fun ones here and there, it's a win. <laughs> yeah. Especially this day and age, fuck, it's so crowded. Oh, fuck, man, isn't it? Um, yeah, and and just quickly, like, back to Taylor, like. And Dustin, like, man, so where did you go in that period? It was like, I feel like you were saying you went to, like, Iceland and shit on one trip. So, yeah, that was with, like, Ross Williams. Yeah, that was for another thing. Yeah. Right. No, I was traveling all over the world during that time, you know? Like, we were just, I don't know, I was doing stuff for my sponsors that I was writing for at that time. And I don't know, they were kind of doing their own thing. It wasn't like I was in cahoots with them. Mm. My wife was here and, you know, we were having, starting our family. So I was, I was just kind of a bystander of their huge production, I guess. Mm. What, <laughs> what was Iceland like? Iceland was cool. It was a Jeff Devine trip and um, it was on it Ross and John Rose and Gerlach. Um, Iceland was beautiful. Went to uh, Norway too. Yeah. Saw some huge waterfalls and um, glaciers and like and icebergs and shit. It was sick. Holy smokes. <laughs> How'd you go surfing? What's the waters like? Be like? I was cold. Yeah, it was, it was more of a novelty trip. We mm. kind of just picked the two weeks and went. You know, we didn't time it with any swell. Or I'm sure like guys have been back now and figured it out. But that was like 20 years ago, you know? Mm, mm. And what's like the weirdest place you've ever been and fully scored? Um, I don't know. The weirdest. Like the most far-flung, the hardest to get to. Everything's just all blended together. Hardest to get to. Everything's hard to get to. Did you guys like go to I, Africa at one? No, one time I was all the way in France, and uh, Rip Crow wanted me to go to Tahiti. And so I flew from France all the way to Tahiti, and um, that was pretty fucking far. And I remember uh, waking up on the plane, oh, we're landing in Tahiti, and the plane turned around halfway to Tahiti and flew back to L.A. And I had to sit there, and I was just like, oh, shit, this sucks. So that made it even further, you know? And then uh, getting to Tahiti, and then uh, couldn't find, no one was there to pick me up, and then I had to, like, get another plane to another island, and... And I had to like walk around and find a ride and couldn't find anyone and then eventually found them and the waves were pumping. <laughs> oh, we left a message for you at the airport. Yeah, I got that one message, but uh, didn't get any other messages. It's just kind of like, I don't know, full Grom life, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. What do you think you learned from doing all those, like, wild trips at such a young age i mean how has it shaped you i guess i definitely found out that i love traveling you know and i love adventure um what's another fucked up one we went to peru in uh 98 during the el nino that was oh gnarly God. so there's no waves no it was pumping oh right. but 
so Peru gets like an inch of rain a year, and we're there, it rained like 30 feet. Wow. Yeah, so the roads were washed out, and uh, all the rivers were flowing, and bridges were, were washed out, and it, it was a six-hour drive. Which way were we going, north or south? But um, it took us like seven days to do a six-hour drive. That was fucked. Ted Grambo was on the trip, Hedgy, Poncho. Um, John Frank? No, no John Frank. But um, what did we do? We ended up going to uh, the Galapagos. That was sick. Oh, true. Yeah, early days in the Galapagos. And there's like all the, all the iguanas and seals on like everywhere. And, and I'm pretty sure that was pretty early days for the Galapagos surfing. Like wow. 98. That's Whoa. fucking ages ago. That's a while ago. And that was with Hedgie and, and Poncho on that, mm-hmm. on that same trip? Mm-hmm. Wow. Tech Rambo. So, yeah, I mean, fuck, there's some wild characters to be sharing space with. I guess that's the, the funny thing about surf trips is, man, you get to know people real well. Like, you, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you need each other's yeah. space. Mm. What, was the, what was the hog dog like back, uh, back in the days? Back in the days. Yeah, I traveled with him a lot. He was, like, super super motivated to do well like really fun to travel with like always uh positive vibes like he's always happy you know yeah. and uh, it's good to see him doing good you know i'm killing it still so high energy doing so well and i mean that guy was by that age would have been a seasoned vet the guy was on his what first yeah, i stayed with I, I went and stayed with his family for um that narabine uh i guess it's the hot buttered pro junior back in the yeah. day I remember uh, staying there at his house, and it was the first year I met him. I guess we would have been like 13 or 14, and I knew the McDonald twins, Anthony and Phil, and them. And then I remember Parco and Dingo, where it got into like a little scuffle, and both of them were crying, like tears rolling down their eyes. I remember looking at Hedgie, and I'm like, what's up with these guys? Like, fucking babies. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And just so happens they're fucking two of the best surfers in the world you know like <laughs> they're like little groms in tears like what the fuck at Hedgie's house <laughs> oh that's classic yeah so you were on Rip Curl uh, for how long um, that might even be I don't know most of my teen teenage years yeah and I so I guess that's coinciding with the the later stages of all that the search missions like fuck watching those i mean i guess it's still doing them now but i remember watching those films like blowing up and shit back in the day with tamayo yeah, and yeah. Davo, and mm-hmm. these are the guys you were kind of sharing space with yeah 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 both those guys yeah 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 park over road for them too and um yeah pretty good story but yeah when i met my wife here in 2000 i was redoing my contract and uh the team guy tells me, "Well, you're gonna go live in Bali and uh, live with your girlfriend and and watch and go on surf trips." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, uh, <laughs> well, that's not going to fly." And I was like, "Well, I guess I'm not going to ride for you guys." And I walked out of there. <laughs> no way, you. He's like, "You idiot! That'll never work." You're living in like a palatial fucking joint. You've scored more yeah, vision. Yeah, and now the guy lives over here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he apologized though yeah whatever yeah and fuck man back to the galapagos dude what kind of way i remember fucking chatting with uh fergal smith once he was he kind of was doing a trip down there and uh yeah i mean pretty trip down for an irish guy to go and just get fucking scorched on the equator like that but uh what kind of ways we talking there 
The Galapagos? Yeah. There's a pretty good right. I don't know. Like, we just kind of rolled up and it was pumping for like three or four days. And, um, fuck, I stayed in South America for like almost three months. Wow. Yeah, I went to Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay to do a contest. Did the trip in Peru. Um, Poncho bailed and went home. I was like, oh, I'm going home with Poncho. And they're like, no, you got to stay. I was like, okay. <laughs> then, yeah, we went to the Galapagos and then flew back to Peru for a contest. I was there for three months. Yeah. Best waves you got in that, in that We got good waves everywhere. But uh bummer thing is, like, it was huge in Hawaii. And uh, that's right when they started towing... Um, outside outside log cabins and Tony Ray was staying with us at our house and uh, I got back right after that swell where him and I think Ross Clark Jones like fucking um, rolled the ski or something mm. and it was like it was pretty historical surf I think yeah biggest Noah, biggest Wednesday was the, the film Noah Johnson and then uh, Aaron Lambert uh-huh. and I uh, think Bradshaw got that huge one yeah, then I remember rolling back into my house after being gone for three months and fucking uh, Tony Ray was just on my couch, just like, bro, the waves have been pumping. Like, where you been? Fucking South America. I was like, fuck. <laughs> oh, wow. Missed the most. Well, I'm like, season. fuck, it's too big for me. It was like 100 feet, you know? Yeah. But I'm sure there would have been some sick days. But it is what it is. Man, what an eye opener, though. Like, I mean, how old were you at this point? Uh, maybe 17 fuck dude <laughs> 17 unchaperoned in brazil holy shit i mean fuck it's a sketchy part of the world nah, i America. was traveling i think you know like poncho was there right. and love hotel and I, miles they came and went like i remember like i think damaloy they they were there doing that three contests and they went home and then came back for that peru contest they're like you're still here i was like yeah i'm still here <laughs> They're like, holy shit. <laughs> That's fucking so funny. Wow. <laughs> holy smokes. Fuck, no, it was a, a great trip. I loved it. Met yeah. a lot of good people. I mean, you must have some crazy memories of like Brazil and shit. And I don't know, like I, I've never been there. So I'm just like. Uh, so... It's down in Florinopolis. I've been down there like three times. Oh, okay. So for the QS down yeah, there. Yeah. I've never been to Rio. Yeah. I always wondered what those uh, big yeah. cities in Brazil are like, man. It's yeah. fucking Florinopolis so is like almost like a Hawaii vibe. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's super killer. Yeah, yeah. And man, I mean, finally, like, fuck, what's the, what's the future like here for you? Man? Like, because I guess you're fucking, most of the stuff I see on your Instagram account and uh, footage-wise, you, you're kind of just, you've been setting the standards in fucking intertubular travel, like, with your own camera. Oh, uh, yeah, I love shooting a POV and then, fuck. Been shooting a lot of uh, VR stuff. No shit. A lot of VR, yeah. That's interesting. That's yeah. who I like. I enjoy that. It's like if you put your normal camera on a two foot pole, you'll get some cool shit too. But if you put your VR camera on a two foot pole, you're getting even cooler shit. <laughs> wow, what's the future of that? So is that going to be purposely designed for like headsets? Well, yeah, and that you can. You could watch it in 360 in virtual reality, or you could. Uh, reframe it to where you pick to where you know like say on a normal tv we're at like a normal edit but you could pick anywhere in that 360 degrees that you just shot and then you can pull high frame grabs and shit it's just a lot of work and 
paddling around with a two-foot pole. Like, I don't do it that much, but, like, when it does get good, I enjoy it. Yeah, that was amazing, that, that stab initiative uh, down to the desert in, in Oz. The stuff that came out of it was so tripped out. Fucking that was actually one of the best runs of ways of my life. Yeah. Did a trip out to the island. I took a Billy and my buddy Griggy. We scored pretty big. Like I probably got one of the best waves I ever got out of the, out of the lips. And then packed my shit, went out to Oz, and then uh, went straight to Kelly's Wave Pool, and then went down to Mexico. And then went back to Hawaii. That's when we got our building permit to start working on our house. But um, yeah, that was like, and I was just coming off of my back operation too. I didn't surf for two years. A lot really? of people, yeah, don't didn't know that. Good year, I couldn't even like pal around, and then Holy a, a shit. good year, I could barely stand up. No way. How did uh, how did that happen? Uh, just a lot of wear and tear. Um, mm. Initial wipeout was uh, I was in a Japan and it was super gray and the water was gray and I did this flip it for this wave and I airdrop did the splits got sucked up and over and landed back on my board and did the splits again <laughs> and I remember popping up and fucking these two Japanese guys are sitting in the channel with their mouths open like. Like, holy shit. And the waves were pumping, so I had the adrenaline was pumping. So I was like, got back up and just kept surfing. And then by the time I got back to Bali the next day, back on my back, I was like hobbling around. And there's a good swell at Karamas and, you know, a handful of guys out. So I just surfed through the pain. And then eventually, yeah, uh, figured out I had like two compressed discs. But, um, yeah, so I got them fused over. I, Got them fused open a couple of years ago. Huh, true. Wow. That's, uh, fuck, that's insane. A couple of bad wipeouts that, that did it, yeah. And so you were doing little strikes to Japan and shit from here. Back then, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. We're so close to Japan in Indo. You're so close it's to anywhere It's just hard, Asia. you know, hard to engage what's going to happen. Yeah, with the typhoons and all the wild climactic energy over there. Oh man, fuck! Good to hear you back on the uh, <laughs> back on the straight and narrow. That's a that's a. I did not know you were pretty much out of the water for two years. I mean, what was the what's the process like to even? Do you feel like you can get back to to where you? Well, were? now like it's really just in the last like fifteen months I could make a late drop, so I just mm. started like pushing myself again to surf the ways I like to surf. You know. And what was the rehab process like? How do you? Um, a lot of stretching and rolling. And I worked, went to um, Oz and worked with um, this lady from Czech. And she gave me a lot of, lot of really good advice and a lot of, taught me a lot about my body that I guess if I would have known before, I would have not have been so fucked up. Mm, yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's fucking funny how little... It's almost like a, a, it was like a cycle of injuries that like kind of led up to it. It's like, I blew my eardrum out the year before. Like I have like a nonstop ringing in my ear. And then um, the next year I hit my head on my knee and I got like a concussion. And then my back is like a fucking one, two, three, like bam, bam, bam. Mm. Like it's pretty shitty. Yeah, it's uh, 
it's pretty easy to just not get the memo of like how to really take care of your body. And I, I feel like, um, you know, Slater's kind of shattered that or he's like really rammed that consciousness home. Yeah. Like what's he's possible. also a superhuman. Yeah. You know, he's like super flexible and double jointed. Yeah. True. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. But like also like big into like, like I could never even touch my toes from like the get go <laughs> from day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of guys like that in uh that have gotten to you know pretty high up in the surfing yeah. world but well, uh, a lot of a lot of surfers have bad bad lower backs too which is kind of weird yeah <clears throat> and you gotta fucking it's not something we're designed to do mm. <laughs> we're designed to be like running across savannas chasing fucking yeah i don't know spring box and shit not uh paddling for hours with a, a so, head crane. you know now it's all about uh, rolling out my soads that's like the main thing. Like I can do that for like five minutes, then I'm good to go. Like that's all I need to do. <laughs> wow. Is that easy all along? Yeah. The sides like that kind of hip. They're right. Yeah. Right hip, in your hip, hip front right. hips. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Well, thanks so much for your time. And, uh, man, good to hear you. You're back in the game because, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, dude. Definitely oh. got the, uh, got the fire back. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> Not nothing. Not, oh man, nothing makes you love being in the water more than in a, a forced layoff. It's, it's fucking pretty wild how like it gets pretty easy to get surfed out, but then once it's fully taken away from you, it drives you fucking mad. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Sick man. All right, thank you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs>